Hello, and welcome to another episode of Using Our Library Voices. Just one more way the Harris County Public Library is serving our customers from within and outside our walls. My name is Sadina Shaver. I'm a Children's Services Librarian at the Barbara Bush Branch in Cypress Creek. I'm delighted to say that I will be your host for this episode and to learn more about the fascinating Lena Project. We will also talk about the early literacy initiative sprouting up across the county and the people behind the scenes making it all happen. I'll be sticking around to interview my fellows at Cypress Creek, where the branch highlight is my very own Barbara Bush. If you're like me and you like to mix your literacy up with a little scientific theory, don't go anywhere. Let's dive into the Lena Project. The Lena Project is a language environment analysis. They are a national nonprofit on a mission to transform children's futures through early talk technology and data-driven programs. Join me in welcoming Nikki Shaw, a librarian working in collection development at the administration level, and her young son, Noah. Thank you, Nikki, again, for being here with me and uh, <laughs> and Noah, who is doing his Batman growls, uh, <laughs> to be here with us and talk just a little bit about Lena, which I'm really excited about. I think it's such a cool program. I'm really thankful that you were able to take this time and do this with me. Oh, of course. It was a really great program. And I do apologize. Noah is having his snack right now. And his Batman growl is how he's like more mommy, more. <laughs> I mean, at least Batman's cool. (laughs) (laughs) So I am very curious as to how you learned about the Lena Project, because as someone who doesn't have a child, it feels like the program kind of came out of nowhere and all of a sudden they were talking about it and it was launched and people were participating and... (laughs) I heard about this from my manager in collection development. I'm assuming she heard about it in another meeting, like a director or manager meeting. And they asked if anyone knew of any HCPL, new moms who would like to participate. She knew I had just had a baby because I had just came back from maternity leave in July. So she asked me and I mean, I had no idea what it was and what it was about because like you said, it came out of nowhere. But from the way she was explaining it, the reward outweighed the risks. I was like sure I'll take a shot at it you mentioned risks and reward what were the risks that you were concerned with Really, because it was so much time, it was time consuming. You have to do it the whole day on one day. And then the in between, they tell you these are the different things that you can work on. This is how you can try to get better at this certain thing. And they ask you to do it throughout the whole week. And as a mom, as a new mom at that, working 40 hours a week, having to deal with a whole household, because I also have two dogs and a husband, and then having to deal with, well, he was nine months at the time. Time. Mm-hmm. Having to deal with the nine month old, I was like mm-hmm. having trouble trying to remember my own name. Yeah. And so trying to remember all of that, plus having to do that as well, it wasn't a risk per se, but it was more me like, am I going to be able to do this? Am I going to remember all of this? Or am I just going to be taking up space in this program? Mm-hmm. Um, I had to stay on track of things because with me working from home, I delivered all of my stuff directly to Aldine. I had to make sure that I remembered to turn in my my recorders that I would remember to switch them out to make sure that I didn't have the one that was still full because what I would do is take the one that was full and only take one back oh. instead of have them at the same time. I would switch them off. Mm-hmm. And so I had to make sure that I remembered to go there, remember to switch them out and just that I had time or my husband had time to do so. Yeah. <laughs> it can't be that good. I'm just saying. <laughs> He's eating they're called yes okay here the teething crackers or whatever yeah they're not that good i I don't know he likes it don't question it right that was perfect timing noah thank you you like reaffirmed you like it 
I'm glad that you were able to participate in this program because how old is Noah currently? Noah is now 10 months old. See, at 10 months old, I think that even understanding the basic communication between the two of you and even these cute little growls, I feel like that's a little bit further than he would have been otherwise. Mm-hmm. According to his reports that we got from Lena, he started at exactly where he was supposed to be. He started, I want to say, when he was like seven months. It was a 10-week program, but mm-hmm. because we went over Christmas and things like that, ours was a little longer. When it was over, he was at the very end of his nine months. And so when it started, he was right where he was supposed to be at seven months. And then when we finished, they said that he was a little farther along than where he's supposed to be now, which I thought was pretty cool because mm-hmm. I can't tell the difference. But I think it's because, I mean, I'm not trained to, but I mean, I know the motor skills he's supposed to have, according to his doctor, but I would think that that's where he was supposed to be already, if that makes sense. It does. It makes sense. And also you're with him so much more frequently. I feel like those more micro measurable achievements may not be so readily available. It's amazing to think about what must be going on in his mind, understanding communication, where he is and where you are. Because you were explaining earlier the way that the dogs growl at each other and their communication. It's just language to him. It's all language. That's the funniest part. I believe he got it from them because we have a pit bull who has the heart of gold. He is the softest thing you will ever meet. And then we have a chihuahua. Oh. <laughs> That's the one that growls. I don't know what it is, maybe because she's small or what, mm. but he loves our chihuahua. He crawls after her now. And the first time he started crawling after her, she was just like, oh my God, it moved. <laughs> what? And when she freaked out, of course, he was like, ooh, this is fun. So he <laughs> kept going after her and she started growling at him. And then he growled back at her. And me and my husband were just like, did that just happen? <laughs> And then ever since, he's just been growling, but now he growls at us as well. And I think he thinks, like you said, it's just a part of language. He's talking to us. That's really cool. I have a friend who she speaks Vietnamese and she was trying to teach her daughter Vietnamese in her early childhood. But her husband, who is also Vietnamese, does not speak the language. So as their daughter grew into her language skills between English and Vietnamese, she came to this conclusion that all women must speak Vietnamese and maybe men can't. And so (laughs) when she first met me and we all went out to lunch, she was speaking to her father in English and then turned to me and immediately engaged with me in Vietnamese and I was just like not not gonna be able to do this and she looked utterly stricken like but how could you not know the language of women amazing how their mind works right that's amazing and I think that's the cool thing too about Lena because it's all theory there's no real measurable way to get children without higher language skills to explain to us what's going on but we can theorize everything so the fact that Lena this program that you participated with with Noah and now he has earlier understanding and grasp on language what did you know about early language and literacy development prior to participating in the Lena project well as a librarian I knew a little bit because I'm a youth librarian but that's what my specialization is from UNT so I knew that talking to your baby is important and then from my own experience also I guess you can say personal my mom told me all the time when I was a baby she was a stay-at-home mom she didn't have anybody else to talk to and so she said I just talked to you like you were a grown up Mm -hmm. and because of that she said I was talking perfectly like perfect sentences and stuff by the age of two and so because of that it was fairly easy for her to tell me what to do with my own son Mm -hmm. I did not know the depth Lena taught me a whole lot of 
different ways that I can do it better. So my mother also was a single mom and she explained the same thing to me that she would put me on the counter next to her when she'd be making morning coffee and explain to me what she was doing, why she was doing it. She just kind of narrated her entire day as long as I was with her. And a similar thing happened where I was speaking more clearly to babysitters than the rest of my peers. Mm -hmm. That feels like such a simple thing for us to do, but the day can get away from you or you don't realize that you're using the wrong tones, you know, small things. And then Lena comes around and they have it so much more finite to a science. And that's exactly it. Like I said, I knew that talking to your baby was important, but they had so many different ideas. And like you said, the day can get away from you. Again, during this time, I was working from home. So it was a lot of me being on the computer all day and trying to get work done as well as play with him in between time. Mm -hmm. My timesheets are all over the place because I have three (laughs) hours here, take a break, three hours there, making sure that I am talking to him doing these Mm -hmm. things. It was pretty awesome to get that information from Lena to see the ways that I could incorporate these different things throughout the day, like different terms that I should be using or Mm -hmm. just like you said, talking to him while I make dinner. I talk to him now too while I feed the dogs, make sure Mm -hmm. the dogs get their food. Like, see Noah, they have to eat just like you. This is their food. Their food is different from yours. We don't eat their food, even Mm -hmm. though sometimes they might eat ours, things like that. That's such a small change at even just topic and narration. That's fascinating because he's not only learning language skills, but he's also learning what's appropriate for food and dog behavior and things like that and routine. Wow, what a small but massive change. That's what I was thinking as well. I never would have even thought of that. But mm. when they said you have pets and things like that and use your pets as well, and I was like, what? Yeah, It was really more talk about food. But (laughs) when I talk about food, I have other people in the house to feed, not just my husband Mm -hmm. or not just Noah. So I was like, well, if I'm talking about food, then I might as well talk about food with my pets as well. Mm -hmm. And I'm normally the one that feeds them since I'm home. So when I feed them in the morning, I get his bottle ready and then I would put him in his walker. And once he's in the walker, that's when I tell him, "Okay, now we got to feed the dogs, Noah. Mm -hmm. And that's when we would do that. So it was like you said, I guess it was a small change just to talk about our pets or what's going on in the house but it was something that I didn't think to do before because feeding the dogs didn't have anything to do with him right it did it did it's gonna have a longer term payout because he's learning more about animal behaviors and the differences between animals and humans Uh, were there any surprises either from participation maybe a connection between you and Noah or Noah in the program that really took you off guard like when they say conversational turns are important I knew that but I wasn't really expecting it at his age but with him being 10 months now and we have conversations and like I say he'll clap his hands now and say cake cake and I'm like, whoa, cake, cake. I didn't understand what it was for the longest. So he'll clap his hands randomly and say, cake, cake. Look, he's dancing now. <laughs> <laughs> I thought maybe it was going to be patty cake. While we were speaking, I noticed he was clapping a little bit. And that's what a great connection. <laughs> and at first, I had no idea what that was. I did not know. I was like, cake, cake, because he was clapping, but he couldn't. So mm. I didn't know what he was doing. But when we finally started connecting, cake, cake. And I was like, you mean patty cake? Because we play patty cake all the time. Mm-hmm. And then when my mom mom was here because she stayed for the first few months or so and then she kept visiting because this is her first grandchild so she kept playing with him as well Mm -hmm. and
and we couldn't put it together until he started connecting and then it made a lot more sense that kind of caught me off guard that he was playing patty cake before he was even connecting his hands and what a leap too he knew what he wanted and he knew what he was doing but like the presentation wasn't translating that's amazing that his brain was already like this is exactly what i'm doing y'all just don't get it <laughs> like i know the words you guys don't know the words <laughs> yeah just catch up come on guys <laughs> Is there any advice that you would give to caregivers that are interested in either participating in the Lena project or if they're out of the participation range or unable to get to a program? Is there any advice that you would give them? I'm very bad at giving advice unless it's book recommendations. (laughs) But I will say this. Go in with an open mind. If you have kids, you may think you know everything there is to know because you've been doing it. Mm. But if you're a new parent, you might be anxious about what's going on. So take care and take time to really look at the data because there's always something that you can learn. That's for both a new parent and a parent that's done this before. The lessons that uh, Lena gives and the things you can take from it are, again, worth it. And like I said before, there still might be some issues, but the rewards outweigh the risks. Yeah, well, I think it's a fascinating project. I myself don't have any children, but early literacy and language skills in particular, I took a lot of linguistics classes. The way that the brain works around language versus literacy has always fascinated me. So I was very excited to find out about the Lena project and then super excited to find out that we had actual HCPL employees who had participated. Yeah, it was fun. I can honestly say too that the people that gave the program, they really care a lot about early literacy and the Lena project as well. I did it through the Alding branch and I did it with Leanne. Leanne is very sweet. She took the time to answer any questions that we might have had, even though, like I said, we were the pilot. We were the guinea pigs. It was interesting that we were learning from her as she was learning from us. Like anything Mm. that we had issues with or anything that we came across that might be difficult because we did ours virtually. Mm -hmm. So anything that we had issues with or anything that we learned, we told her about it and she fixed it some way. Mm. It was interesting to do. We weren't face to face, but it was still a fun project. Like you were saying, I think that the things that we're going to learn from the Lena Project and Aldine and Leanne participating in everything, that this is just hopefully a project that will continue to grow. As a librarian, I, I mean, I couldn't be happier at the idea of having (laughs) more engaged readers. Yeah, and that's another thing that I learned from them also. As a youth librarian, like, because I did children's, I did YA, I did both when I was in the actual branches. So when they said, read to your child, I was like, oh, yeah, duh. That's a given. But then I realized I was reading to him like I would read to storytime kids. And it took me a while to be like, hey, there's no one else listening to you. You can go as slow as you want. If he wants to skip pages or whatever, that's okay. You're reading for him to reply to you now. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times I found that we read the same book over and over or we read different books, but it'll be the same page in that book or something. And it just goes over and over. And I had to make myself like, realize that's okay Mm -hmm. and you know I find it a little funny that of course because we're in the field we think obviously and I'm sure your mom read to you all the time my mom read to me all the time but outside of that I was watching a movie a couple of nights ago with a friend and the mom in the movie was reading to her son the witches by Roald Dahl a chapter a night and I was like I don't think I see that very often in media where they're showing that it's part of the normal process Mm -hmm. that's very true yeah I don't think we see it enough so that's really great to find 
find out that the Lena Project is helping encourage and educate people who aren't in the fields and who it isn't second nature and maybe in their household they didn't grow up with it. And the thing I really like about this one is I think the reward is going to be a little bigger because the age range is older where mm-hmm. they're actually already communicating. Mm-hmm. This one was a little different, the one that we did, because all of our babies were still not even one yet. Yeah, I noticed that when I was talking to Leanne and they were mentioning that the study was looking at 18 months to, what is it, like 36 or 32 or something like that. Mm-hmm. And to find out that Noah was so much younger, but he still has such a measurable advance through this program. It's exciting. <laughs> yeah, so I'm excited to see, because I told Leanne, even though we can't do this round, that mm-hmm. I'm still going to try to come on those days just to try to be nosy because I want to know <laughs> what their leap is. Mm-hmm. If Noah's was like this and he's not even really able to communicate yet, then I want to see what the others are doing as well. And now that I have all the tools and stuff, mm-hmm. I can continue to use it now. And so when he's that age, I can still use it then and see if it makes a difference even then as well. Well, thank you so much for doing this with me. It may be one of my favorite interviews because I'm just nerdy enough to, to like want to talk about this all day, but we can't. Sounds okay. good to me. Thank you for having me. <laughs> thank you. And bye, Noah. Okay, bye-bye. Logan Tuttle spoke with some of the visionaries behind the Growing Breeders program. Let's take a look behind the scenes at how these great programs are developed for and rolled out to our amazing communities. Hi, this is Logan, and I'm here with Angela Martinez and Jennifer Bacall to discuss Growing Readers. Could you describe what exactly this initiative is and how it works? Growing Readers is our new early literacy initiative. It's helping children and their caregivers form the skills they need to become strong readers and lifelong learners. So early literacy is for those children from prenatal to preschool. We're focusing on the five early literacy practices that help build parent and child interaction and positive experiences. Those five early literacy practices that grow readers are talk, sing, read, write, and play. Yeah, Angela's exactly right. This is um, spanning from prenatal, so as parents are first knowing that they're expecting babies all the way until they go to preschool, they can start building these skills. Um, And one thing we wanted to make sure people understand, too, is that this isn't a lot of work. Um, It may sound like, oh my gosh, one more thing, I have to study all this stuff. It's actually quite the opposite. It's more to make you realize that the things you already do with your child have a lot of value. So we've incorporated some national initiatives into the program as well, including a thousand books before kindergarten and 30 million words before age four. 30 million words before four? I know those numbers can sound daunting, but that's exactly why we're um, wanting to let parents know that every word matters. So if you are pregnant and expecting a child or, you know, a dear loved one is, and you actually speak out loud while that child is is growing and near you, they're already sinking those words into their psyche so that they can know and understand conversational turns. Um, And so as babies and little toddlers are walking around, if you just do simple things like talk about what you're doing in the kitchen, I'm going to make chocolate chip cookies today. What is in a cookie? Oh, look, I've got sugar. I've got chocolate chips. I've got, I need How many cups are we adding to this recipe? Exactly. And I know with a thousand books, that may seem like such a hard goal to reach before kindergarten, but it's not. You can do one book a day and log that. It's, it's so much fun because you get to read with your child. 
you're creating these bonding moments, right? These positive reading experiences, and you're sharing a joy of reading, which is going to make them lifelong readers. And yeah, like a thousand books, again, sounds so much, but if you read Goodnight Moon five times in a row <laughs> in one night, you've just read five books. Right, you can reread books. That's the great thing. I know yeah. I always, always have my mom read Chicka Chicka Boom Boom. Right, okay. So in what ways does this benefit child development? So I know that earlier Angela and I mentioned that it is based on these five early literacy practices. And within each of those practices, the child grows in different ways. So we have the physical movement of playing and writing. We have the just mind movement of singing and reading and talking. And so you're really developing this whole body of skills that need to be used together for you to continue to grow and learn in the future. Yes, and we do provide the purpose behind when we're singing, we're breaking down syllables of words. That's going to help your child later. When you're talking with them, you're building their conversational skills. And when you're writing, it may sound interesting for younger ones because you think, what are, what are babies are going to do? They can't write. They don't have those skills yet. But when we start doing finger plays with them, you're building their fine motor skills so that when they are older, they're able to hold a you know, crayon or, or sidewalk chalk and they can begin writing or scribbling. It's going to be their earliest And months. it'll feel more natural right. if, if they have held something in their hand and not even if they're holding it right like a pen. Right. And with playing, playing is so much fun. They could use their imagination and they're building critical thinking skills. And to talk, go back to talking, you can talk or even sing or read in different languages because you don't have to just stick to English. You can do Spanish. And when we say 30 million words before age four, it doesn't have to be language that the children understand. Um, like Angela mentioned, you can, you know, hear play them songs in a, a different language. If you have a bilingual neighbor or family member or you yourself are, it's great, just the quantity of words. So it's just about them getting used to hearing those syllables and the sounds. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I can totally see how that would be really important for families who are bilingual to be able to get words both like in their home language and in English. Absolutely. Any word at all at this age is a benefit. And that this age being from literally the newest newborn baby to um, until they're in preschool and hearing more words from a teacher. Um, I think sometimes, too, when folks who aren't used to reading a picture book pick up a picture book, they simply read the four or five words on the bottom of the page. Uh, Pinky the pig went to the store. But you're missing all of the storytelling that's actually happening in the image. So that's the perfect time. It's never too early to start. Just kind of explaining to your kids what they see. And by the time they're toddlers, it'll become a fun game that they enjoy being a part of. You can talk about the shapes in the pictures, the colors, what kind of animals, above, below, all different concepts. Right. And when you're talking about the shapes and even directions when you're reading a book with your child, you're introducing math concepts to your child. So they're going to actually start recognizing and it's going to help them recognize letters and numbers down the road. When you're growing these math concepts while you're reading with your child, you're helping your child for future academic success. Because at this time, they're learning to read. But once they hit third grade, they're going to be reading to learn. 
And I can totally relate to that because previous to working with the library, I was actually a teacher and I mostly taught ELAR for grades third through fifth grade. And a lot of the gaps that I saw was in reading. Um, it's probably something that all of these kids struggle with, and especially since the pandemic um, has gotten like even worse. I taught during the pandemic last year, and when I had a kid who was maybe barely passing in my class, which is reading and writing, I would talk to my partner teacher, who was the math and science teacher, and that kid would be just like completely failing her classes because they were behind in reading. So I can see how growing readers would help build a foundation that would prevent those gaps from forming in the first place. Yeah, definitely. And part of what we want to impart to anyone that is interested in learning more about reading with their babies or their young children is that it doesn't have to be books. Um, you're reading everything all day long. Street signs uh, you're at the grocery store, you're reading packages of food, names of restaurants that you drive by, anything that you can just start repeating so that your child will start to remember that symbol or that lettering for that item will all build into the same skill set of reading and they'll start to realize that it isn't just sitting down with a book. It, it's going to matter in every area of their life. So how can parents and guardians maintain the momentum this initiative has introduced as their child grows? I think it's really important to just nurture this interest and this love for early literacy from the very beginning, even when your child is just a bump. Um, by just, like Jennifer mentioned earlier, talking to your to your baby bump. And then from there, going to libraries and checking out parent resources. Once they, your child is now a little older, you can then attend story times. And I like, too, that, um, you know, with babies, some people would say, well, my baby can't do these five practices. My baby can't write. My baby can't play. This is silly. Well, you just have to rethink all of these things. Um, for writing, that's just helping the baby realize their fingers move through little game plays. Right, which we um, have in our story time. Exactly. We offer that in our story time. So the folks can come to the branches. Every branch offers story times. It's all listed. And our, our children like children librarians are modeling these Absolutely. songs for you. So then if you come weekly, this gonna be, you're going to make going to the library a habit, and your child's going to see their children's librarian. They're going to probably see the same kids right. and the same parents. So you're building this community, community of what growing readers. Yes. You can't underestimate that time for the children to interact with other children their same age, even again as They're babies. socializing. Yeah. Absolutely. And then for the parents as well to share um, frustrations, joys, <laughs> tips, uh, book titles, you know, all of that great stuff. Um, you just really can't beat those in-house programs. And, and also, not only what story times, so we do have a few of our libraries, our family place libraries. And these are libraries that have a special space that supports good health, early learning, um, parent involvement, and community. And the staff there have been trained, and there's lots of fun things to do with you and your child to help you learn and grow. And Harris County is so massive, right? And we totally understand that everyone's life structure is different, and not everyone can go to a 1030 story time or 
you know, drive out to a family place library. So we do make sure that all of this content is available online as well. So um, if you do have online access, you can go see all of our story times. You can check out all sorts of books that can be read online. There are all sorts of different fun software. You can look at our flashcards. Right, I was just going to mention, we do have our flashcards available online. If you don't have a chance to stop by the branch, pick one up for your child. We also have... Um, our activity kits, which are a fun free activity kit for toddlers and preschoolers that give step-by-step instructions to help your child grow through books and play. Right, and the flashcards are full of tips on all of the five practices. Most of them are quite fun, and some you may find that you're already doing, but it'll just reinforce that idea that it's worth your time and energy. Are these flashcards just vocabulary? No, No, not at all. So for example, in the play category, it might talk about how, what we mentioned earlier about reading pictures. I think one of my favorite ones for play was called Oh, the Drama. Yes. (laughs) And it talks about having your, you and your child participate pay in coming up with a story and dramatizing it and putting on a play. Mm-hmm. So we had a lot of fun coming up with those and naming some of those flashcards. And trying to think of the different um, places that the parents and caregivers right. are coming from. And how so, long, and kind of give an estimate of how long this activity will take. Right, right. Some folks, traditional reading is going to come real easily. Other folks um, are real great singers or love singing. So they we talk to them about singing their story. I'm waking up, I'm walking to the show. <laughs> but all of that helps. Right, or even activities you can do on the go when you're in the car with your child and you can go, oh, there's one red car, there's another, there's two red cars. Or when you're pushing your, your child along in the shopping cart, walking up to the store, you can count the cars along the way. Mm-hmm. And all of this is not something that's going to take away from your time. I think sometimes people think, I don't have time for one more right. thing. I work, I this, right. I that. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, with these little flashcards and things, we hope that what we're showing is that this isn't taking away from your time. It's actually making the time you already spend doing these things anyway a little more fun, a little right. more precious. Yeah, it's um, making the most of every minute, right? Yeah, absolutely. So I can really get how Growing Readers establishes those building blocks that support early literacy. Yes, and I'm, I'm glad that you do because when we first planted the seeds of this initiative, our librarians, our in-house experts in literacy, made sure we, we included the research and the purpose behind everything that we're doing here because we want to achieve that goal, our director's goal of having every child in Harris County kindergarten ready. Yeah, and it's it's been a really fun process, as Angela said, because this isn't any one or two person's work. Um, and so I think that when you get a lot of good minds looking at the same product, it, it's going to be um, more well-rounded. It's going to you know hit more people. Yes, and that ownership of growing readers built excitement among our staff that then built excitement to our customers. So you could say... It takes a village to raise a kid. Yes, exactly. We hope we're a part of that village. Or a village to grow a reader. Yes. 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 <laughs>
Well, I'd like to thank you for talking to me about this initiative, and I'm super excited to see where Growing Readers goes. Ah, it's no, so exciting. Thank you so much. Yeah, we're <laughs> excited too, and um, I would say to folks, stay tuned. We're adding new facets to this program all the time. It will be a living, breathing Plan initiative. Of its own. Yeah, right. we're branching out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And be sure to stop by your local HCPL branch and ask about growing readers and what materials they have. Branching out. Branching out. (laughs) Growing. Welcome to the branch highlight for March, my very own Barbara Bush Branch Library in Cypress Creek. Let's jump right in, shall we? Hi, this is Kathy Clark at the Barbara Bush Library. I am one of the assistant branch managers. The other assistant branch manager is Christy Yerby, and Clara Maynard is our manager for the branch. We are very excited to be featured in this podcast today. We do all of the normal library things. We have our story times, teen programs, makerspace, which includes lots of craft projects, book clubs, English as a second language, and literature for adults, as well as having three career online high school graduates that we're very proud of. Now, Kathy, not many people know this outside of HCPL, but the county libraries have a group known as the High Five, which really is a reflection of how much circulation numbers that each branch does. We are lucky enough to be among the High Five, but we have more than just that to brag about. One of the things that's always a highlight for our branch is we have consistently been the highest circulating branch in the entire Harris County Public Library system. Even after all the pandemic things, it just lasts. January, we had almost 58,000 items checked out. And so we just are very glad to have a reliable and supportive community here at Barbara Bush. Lucky for us, we've been able to support our community back in the form of providing passport services. Let's talk a little bit more about that. One of the newest features that we have at the Barbara Bush Library is we are one of the eight branches that is doing passport services now. This has been a huge, very popular program. A lot of people weren't able to get passports during the pandemic. And then obviously traveling wasn't popular then. So we have had an influx of people interested and ready to get their passports. So that has been a really fun and new service for us. And we've gotten tons of compliments about people and just such a good experience that they have here at the library for getting their passports. So we're excited to be one of those eight locations in the system. As the listeners can probably tell, community support is a big deal to us here at the Barbara Bush Branch Library. But we could not do it alone. One of the support systems that we have here at Barbara Bush is our Friends of the Library. They are very active. They plan all kinds of fundraisers for us, like doing sales at Barnes & Noble, book sales, and also a fundraising tree around Christmas time. And we also have our ongoing bookstore here at the Barbara Bush Library. And we are very grateful for all of the support that we get from them year-round for our programs and any other projects and things that we're trying to do here at the library. If you have any questions about how you can support the Friends of the Library here at Barbara Bush, you can go to their webpage at bblf.org and either sign up to be a friend or donate on behalf of the Friends. For those that may not have heard of a Friends group in a library before, explain some of the benefits to joining. 
Friends membership includes all of their volunteer projects that they do here around the library, as well as regular meetings to discuss what they're doing for the library, and also includes social events throughout the year so that you can get to know the other people that are helping the library. If you're looking for a way to get more involved in your community or just find some new friends, the Friends is a great opportunity. Thanks for sitting down with me, Kathy, in lieu of Clara. I really appreciated you taking the time out of your day so that we can meet like this. Thanks for having me, Sedina. It's always great talking with you. And joining me now, we have Erica Bullock, who is a library service specialist here at Barbara Bush. Erica, what would you say are partnerships or services unique to the Barbara Bush branch that we provide to our community? That is a really great question, since the library provides a lot of services and a lot of resources that the public might not necessarily think is available. One of the nice things about Barbara Bush is that we're right next to the Pearl Fincher Museum, which is affiliated with the Houston Fine Arts Museum. Really? I didn't know that they were affiliated with the Museum of Fine Arts. They are. I feel like that gives us up here on the north side of the county an opportunity to have the MFA experience when driving regularly into Houston proper isn't necessarily an option. It's giving us access to parts of Houston often out of reach in this sprawling metro area. That's true. We're really far away from the Fine Arts Museum. So having a association with that museum through a local organization is really exciting. The Pearl Fincher has had a lot of really cool exhibits over the years, and it's always changing. So there's always something new. You can come to the Pearl Fincher and come back three months later and there's something different. But the Pearl Fincher isn't our only community partner conveniently located next door. Let's talk a little bit about the community center currently undergoing renovation. So one thing that's going to be coming hopefully within the next year, we don't have a specific date, but we do know they're working on it. And that's the new community center that's going to be right next door. It is a very large space. And so at the library, we're really excited about what kind of programming we can do there especially during the summer. And we're also excited to see what kind of programming the community center itself will have for the people that live here. I personally haven't worked at Barbara Bush during a time when that space was open. It had already been flooded and closed down by Harvey by the time I started with HCPL. So it actually wasn't a community center before. It belonged to the Cypress Creek Church. That is our neighbor. And it was flooded and damaged during Hurricane Harvey. And so the church ended up selling it to the county. And the county saw the property as extremely promising for its location. I was unaware that the church had sold the building to Harris County. I wonder if that means that we can look forward to some point in the future where we can have large county-wide collaborations between the branches, the health department, the parks department, and maybe even other county services. Yes, that would be pretty cool. That would be so cool. Like a huge summer block party or a winter fair. That would be awesome. In the past, pre-COVID, we did have events that were a combination between the library and the Cypress Creek Church and also the Pearl Fincher. And I think the park was also involved as well. And it was just kind of spread all throughout. The main entrance to the parking lot was blocked off. And so we had stuff 
in the driveway between us and the church. And we had food trucks and all kinds of stuff going on. Wow. So they will really be able to start taking full advantage of the sheer amount of land we have here available to us in the Cypress Creek Cultural District. That could very well be a possibility. It would certainly give the county more space, both indoors and outdoors, to do events in this part of town. With the library being probably the largest public county entity here, our meeting spaces can only hold up to so many people, and hopefully the community center will allow for even more within the county footprint. These shared spaces really do lend themselves to a myriad of opportunities that we have not had access to for some time now. So speaking of spaces, are there any spaces inside of the library that we have access to again that our community may have forgotten about? So one space in Barbara Bush that I am hoping we'll be able to get more use out of in the future is our maker space. We have a small makerspace upstairs on the second floor. It used to be the old print room, and we've turned it into a makerspace. So we have a 3D printer. We have a Cricut. We also have a sewing machine. Oh, we have two. I donated one of the two I inherited in recent years. We have two sewing machines, and we're hoping to get some more things to put in there to make and create and just do cool stuff. Any last hidden gems you'd like to talk about here at Barbara Bush? I really would love to see us do more with is the courtyard behind the children's department. Yes, me too. Well, thank you so much, Erica, for sitting down and talking with me. I think this is a good time for me to move on and speak to someone from the Children's Services Department and figure out what we have there that's unique. Joining me from my very own department in the Children's Services at Barbara Bush, we have Julie Hermanot, and she is a Children's Program Specialist. Julie, let's talk a little bit about how the 1,000 Books Before Kindergarten initiative is unique here at Barbara Bush. I think it's unique because we started it well before it was rolled out. Saw the need there, so we started signing people up and had over 100 people signed up before the rollout. I think what's unique about our branch is we were determined to just have a huge sign-up for this. We sign people up. When the kids read at 100 books, they are able to receive a prize from the treasure box. And I think that's a huge motivator. The fact that this time around, they receive board books, total of five along the way. That's motivational more for the parent. But I think for us, with the treasure box, that's motivation for the kids. Oh, see, I think children enjoy picking out a book of their own. Allowing growing readers to pick up what they want, the motivation to read and engage with that material will likely be higher because it's their book and they chose it. Yeah, rather than just here's the book. Since this is our branch highlight, we should toot our own horn and talk about our stats so far in the Growing Readers program. So when a patron comes in, we explain to them that we have a Growing Readers program called A Thousand Books Before Kindergarten. Super easy to sign up. I always like to tell them you don't have to keep track of titles. For moms with young kids, that is overwhelming. So making it easy for them, we sign them up right then and there on our own computers. We have 
hand them the journal. We let them know that there's stickers in there, which gets them excited and the kids, <laughs> their activities and recommendations in there. We actually open up the journal and kind of flip through it. And we give them a bookmarker with a QR code so that they can easily go right to Beanstat, get their login, and start logging books for their children. We explain to them how our branch is unique and that at every hundred marker, the child's able to come and choose a treasure from the treasure box <laughs> and that they'll receive board books along the way. So super excited because within the first month, we had 150 children signed up and currently over 7,000 books read. Now tell me a little bit about the initiative you brainstormed. You saw a growing need for a program geared towards our young readers who had already aged out of the 1,000 books before kindergarten, right? So because we were promoting the original 1,001 books before this launch, siblings would kind of look forlornly like, wait, where's something for me? I want treasure. (laughs) So thinking through it, I came up with the idea of putting a bulletin board on a pole that was a beanstalk and the idea that kids would work their way up the beanstalk to be able to receive prizes from the treasure box after they read so many books. For myself, continually seeing some of the same genres being checked out over and over again, I really wanted to kind of expand their horizon. So with the program called Me and the Beanstalk for kids ages 5 to 10 plus, they're given a required number of books to read in different categories, not necessarily genre. As one category is your mom or dad's favorite book, a book with a color word in the title. So as I was helping some girls today to find those books, books. It's just neat to see them at the two-by-twos or the read-alongs and just their excitement because they've never even known that we have those books. This reminds me of the reading challenges you can participate in online that are self-driven. Like I personally pick the Book Riot Read Harder Challenge each year, and these challenges are meant to give you reading goals that push you a little to help you expand your reading palette. Even if you don't accomplish each one every year, researching books that meet the criteria is a great way to learn about books that the ever- present algorithm may not have shown you. It sounds like you've taken this premise and applied it to some of our earlier readers. Yeah, so they get their own beanstalk on a paper. They have to put stickers on after they've read each category, and then they bring it in to choose a prize from a treasure box. And speaking of -of out-of-the-box ideas that you've had, you've started to discuss an outreach initiative that has some parallels to an outreach and possible development at the county level. Tell me more about this idea. Yeah. So again, since I developed that, me and the beanstalk or the older children, looking at just babies, kind of taking an idea that I saw in the Roanoke library system. They had a book printed that is called Roanoke Baby. And I thought, what could we do here for moms with newborn babies? How can we get moms interested in reading to their children from day one? So the idea of Harris Baby, where board book is authored and illustrated, showing all the different highlight areas of not just Houston, but the other verbs. 
So in the hospital, these board books, Harris Baby, will be handed out to new moms, including an application for a library card or even right then and there using an iPad, signing them up for that library card. And then looking beyond that, you know, how can we possibly stay in contact with these moms, reaching out to them and maybe even considering some sort of early literacy education program. So like a future program wish list, you'd like to see come through to fruition. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. That would be a fun, personalized hometown touch to bring to the program. Exactly. Personalized. And looking at adults who were born in Harris County years ago that, wow, here's a book about the county that I was born in. That's why looking at having them printed not just in English, but in some of the other languages that are so prevalent in our community. I think that would be a lot of fun. Well, thanks for coming and sitting down and talking with me. Julie. Thank you, Sadina. <laughs> we hope you've enjoyed another episode of Using Our Library Voices, brought to you by the staff of the Harris County Public Library. You can subscribe to our feed wherever you listen to podcasts for more content throughout the year, or you can find us at hcpl.net forward slash podcast. Join us again in April to discover the hidden gems of the library system. This episode was produced by Jennifer Finch. Hosted by Sadina Shaver, edited by Beth Cripple, with interviews by Sadina Shaver and Logan Tuttle, and interviewees Nikki Shaw, Angela Martinez, Jennifer Bacall, Kathy Clark, Erica Bullock, and Julie Hermanot.